This morning, for children ages three through first grade, it is time now for you to be dismissed to the back. Mr. O'Brien is in back with uh, others, and they will take you downstairs for a right-sized portion of the gospel for Children's Church. So if you could head back there now. Parents, if this is your first time, it wouldn't be a bad idea for you to go with your child to see where you can pick them up at a later time. For those who are able, would you please rise in honor and respect of the glory of God's word as we read from Daniel 11. At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. For the ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the holy covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the end, a time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. But those who turn many to righteousness shall be like stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, he raised his right hand and left hand toward the heaven, and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times and half a time and that when the shattering power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard 
but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you please join with me in prayer? Father, as we have prayed to you, all hearts are open which means not only do you see um, our sin, but you also see our need, our need of you. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each of us through your word, that whatever we need to hear this morning, you would minister to our hearts, that you would draw us nearer to you. And I pray for me that you would help me to speak faithfully to your word, that we would be pleasing to you pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, one of our family traditions uh, is we, for once a week, we have like a family show that we watch together. Usually it's some action show like The Mandalorian or like one of the Marvel. Right now it's uh, uh, Lost in Space, a Netflix um, show. And one of the things I've realized about myself is I have a fairly bad habit. You know, sometimes these action shows will end in some sort of cliffhanger where it looks like someone is about to die. And immediately when we're done, what I will do is I will look at the thumbnail for the next two or three episodes to see if the guy who's supposed to die's face is still there or if they're actually killing them off. I kind of want to know ahead of time what kind of a story this is. Is this a tragedy or is this, you know, happy? Um, and I've been thinking about that because I, I think there's a sense where that's kind of the ongoing question, isn't it? Like, what kind of story are we in? H how is it going to end? Is this ultimately a comedy or a tragedy? What kind of a story are we in? That's also, I would suggest, the question that is being asked in the book of Daniel. Throughout, and especially the second half of the book, if you've been with us, you'll know from chapter 7 through now, we're on the last chapter, chapter 12, again and again, Daniel is being shown the future. He is being shown the end. And the question that I think Daniel asks in a number of different ways and that we are meant to ask is, what kind of a story is this? So if you've been with us the last few weeks, you might recognize at the beginning of our passage that we are kind of treading on familiar territory. If we were to talk through the whole section, so the whole section is actually chapters 10 through 12. We looked at chapter 10 last week, the interaction with the angels. Beginning in 11, there is this extended description of what's going to happen in the future, and it covers stuff we've talked about, Persia and Alexander the Great, 
and, and Greece. And, and it zeroes in specifically on this one arch villain that we keep coming back to in Daniel, Antiochus Epiphanes. So as our passage begins, you might notice it's talking about, once again, the abomination that causes desolation, the desecration of the temple, the end to sacrifices. This, as we've seen, is what Antiochus Epiphanes did. He, he, he persecuted Jerusalem terribly. But if we continue on, and we didn't have a chance to read all of the verses, through the end of chapter 11 and then also beginning chapter 12, it, it kind of starts fusing. There, there's, there's a blurred line where we realize we're not just talking about Antiochus Epiphanes, this, this historical character. There seems to be something bigger going on because more and more it seems like Daniel is, is hearing about the end, the end of everything. And this, I should say, is fairly typical in biblical prophecy. Again and again, you'll see something like this, where there seems to be a prophecy that's focusing on something that's more immediate in the, in the closer range of time. But even as it's talking about that more immediate thing, it also starts talking beyond it to something bigger that's, that's further on in the distance. You might remember we, we likened this to when you're climbing a mountain, you get to the top of the first peak, and only then do you realize what you thought was part of the mountain is actually a bigger peak further beyond. That's the way biblical prophecy works. And the reason it does this is because what it's trying to help us to understand is that thing that's close by that's about to happen, that's, that's a picture. That's, that's something that's meant to help us to understand this bigger thing beyond that. So God tells David that he is going to have a son that will be this great king who will reign. And Solomon is kind of that. But he's also not. And he's a picture of the bigger fulfillment that's later on. God tells God's people when that they are in exile that there will be this great salvific restoration that will be glorious. And, and when they come back from exile, it's kind of that. But there's a bigger salvation that lies beyond. Jesus will talk about the, the end. And, he, and when a few, you know, a few decades later you see the temple being destroyed, you realize Jesus was talking about that. But he was also talking about something more that's bigger and beyond. In the same way, that's what's happening here. There is this discussion of Antiochus Epiphanes, this person who is this enemy of God's people. But we're supposed to start recognizing that he stands for something bigger. He's, he's an illustration of what is taking place in this world, the, the, the powers of the enemy as it work against God's people all the way until the end. In other words, as we're seeing the story of Antiochus Epiphanes, it blurs into this larger story of the enemy, and we're being told what kind of story we are actually a part of. And viewed from the perspective of human history, from one angle, the story that God's people are part of, people who are followers of Jesus, is our story is a story of fighting the long defeat. That's actually language that comes from the Lord of the Rings. Some of you might know I'm a big Tolkien fan. And there's this scene part of the way through the Lord of the Rings uh, where Galadriel, the, 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 this queen elf, is speaking. And, and the background is Middle-earth, the land in which they are living, is, is in a period of decay. Things were once glorious and beautiful, but things have happened way in the past so that that time of glory is fading away. The elves no longer enjoy the same level of harmony, and yet they are still trying to hold on as long as they can, even though that decay is inevitable. And Galadriel, talking about what she and Gandalf are doing side by side, say, together through the ages of the world, we have fought the long defeat. 
Tolkien himself actually comments later to show, in a letter he's writing to his friend, that, that he sees this as actually something that's describing the human condition. He, he writes to this friend, I'm a Christian, so I do not expect history, he uses that word in quotes, to be anything other than a long defeat. And his words, I think, actually mirror what we are being shown in these final verses in, in, in Daniel. It's a long defeat. It's, it's long, we can tell, because again and again throughout the end of Daniel, we're being told that things are going to take longer than we expect. One, one of the ways that it's shown here is in this somewhat enigmatic phrase. Perhaps you, you noticed that in, in 12 verse 6, he's asked, you know, how long will it take till uh, the end of these wonders? And the answer that this angel, as he's raising both hands, says is it would be for a time times and half a time, which sounds like nonsense, right? But one commentator put it this way, and I think it's helpful. Uh, imagine time being the amount of time something feels like it should take. Like time is just a, a length of time that sounds about right. So half a time, like it says at the end, would be when something happens quicker than you expect. And that is one of the things that Daniel tells us, that, that the end, when it finally comes, will come rapidly. It, you'll feel like it should take a time, but it only comes about half that. It happens quickly. But before that, before that, there is, well, there's a time. So there's this period of time when you are expecting it to take, and it takes all of that time, and you think things should come to the end, but then when you come to the end of that time, you're not just done. Then there's not just another time, there's times, multiple times. It's going to take way longer than you expect before the rapid end. That's what time, times, and half time. It's going to be long, Daniel. And what's going to happen during this long time as we march towards the end is the experience of defeat. Throughout the verses in chapter 11, we, we see, again, something that's describing what happens with Antiochus, but this is picturing something bigger than that, the way things work in this season, this time of human history. So verse 31, forces from him, the evil king, shall appear and profane the temple and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering. In this time, what is most precious to God, his connection point with humanity will experience ruin. And, and we might think of today how we continue to see that kind of thing happening. You know, the New Testament speaks of the church being the connection point between God and humanity. It is, it is the bride of Christ, and yet what do we see? It being torn apart by dissension, it being brought down by scandal. We're seeing it degraded every day, and it feels like we're losing. Or verse 32, the same king shall seduce with flattery, those who violate the covenants. Brothers and sisters who were praying alongside God's people, those who went to the temple to worship, Antiochus shall seduce, shall flatter, shall turn to away from God. And people will feel the loss of losing their brothers and sisters to compromise and failure. And we know what that's like. We can think of, of people who are public figures, whether it's musicians or leaders, who have given up the gospel. We can think of friends who have walked away from the faith, and it feels like we're losing. 
And then even for those who have remained faithful, verse 33, the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble. And that stumbling idea is they will experience suffering by sword, by flame, by captivity, by plunder. Those who are praying, who are depending on God, who are seeking to be faithful, will experience all kinds of difficulties. And we see it again in our day, whether we're talking about people who are living in areas of persecution like Iran, who are being imprisoned because they say the name Jesus. Or we think about kids in school who are mocked just because they have a faith in Christ. We see this happening. Later on, 12 verse 7 speaks of how there is this, this time where God's people are, their power is broken. Verse 7, it says, it's a time of the shattering of the power of the holy people. That's the time that we find ourselves in. The, the shattering of the power of God's people. We feel powerless. It feels like we're losing. Paul, actually, in the New Testament, speaks of this very phenomenon. As he's speaking to fellow believers in the Corinthian church, he describes his experience and the experience of his fellow gospel workers. He says that every, in every way we are afflicted, we are perplexed, we are persecuted, we are struck down, being given over to death. He says our outer self is wasting away. We are fighting a long defeat. And don't, and don't we feel that? I mean, in some ways in a microcosm, we can just think of our own life. Our own life, we're trying to take care of our bodies, make sure that we're exercising, going to medical appointments, doing all those things. But we know death is still eventually going to win. We are fighting the long defeat in our very own bodies. We think about the world around us, and it seems like whenever we're able to resolve one war, that's just a precursor to another. We think about the church, and, and there are moments of beauty and ascendancy and things that are good, but it seems like they always come back down, and it seems like no amount of effort can reverse the brokenness that we find within our church community or that we find in the world around us. It feels like we are losing that's what Daniel is, is alerting us to, that we should recognize that in this time, we are in a period, from human history's perspective, a period of fighting a long defeat. And yet, if you have been with us, as we have been studying Daniel, hopefully you've started to recognize that I keep on repeating this idea of from the perspective of human history. The key that Daniel keeps on alerting us to is that is not the only perspective. That is not the only story that we should be telling. In fact, if we are only looking at that level, if we are only judging by what we can see, we are missing in some ways the majority of reality. That there is a whole other sphere, a sphere of angels and demons, a sphere where God is clearly the one in charge. And that sphere is at work. And only when we see that do we fully understand the story that we are a part of. 
And in fact, in our passage, there are cues throughout to remind us that the story that we are seeing is not the whole story. So, verse 29, when it is talking about this king, it says, At the time appointed. Which is interesting. It's implying that even whatever he is doing, there is this larger organizing plan that is allowing it to happen. Or, or later on, in verse 36, it says these things will happen until the indignation is accomplished, or as another translation has, until the completion of God's wrath. There is a process that's taking place that is largely invisible, but something else is going on. In, in 12 verse 7, we already alluded to this description of the shattering of the power of the holy people. But, but the whole phrase is it says, there is a time when the shattering of the power of the holy people will come to an end. And, and we see more what's being described there when we get to the very top of chapter 12. 12 verse 1 speaks of Michael. Do you remember Michael is the angel who is the overseer of God's people? Michael will arise. He shall come to ascendancy. And what will take place? It says, At that time your people shall be delivered. At that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. There will be something that happens. After defeat. And, and the question we're supposed to ask, I think, at that moment is how? If, if everyone whose name is written in the book, that is, everyone that God has ever loved, anyone who's ever trusted in God from centuries upon centuries, all of these people who generations after generation have experienced defeat and loss. Meanwhile, all of these people who have experienced other people who, who have turned away from God, experiencing what looks like victory and success, how is it going to be at the very end that all of them, every single one, will be delivered? How will the people who have opposed God experience justice? How will there be victory? And the answer we find is the only way we really fully understand our story is when we go beyond the story of human history to the end that lies on the other side. Because what does it say? And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. I've already mentioned that I enjoy watching stories with my family. I'm, I've realized I'm a story junkie. Um, I'm always reading a novel. I'll never have, not, I, I always have some story that I'm doing. There's shows that I enjoy, movies. I, I'm always looking for a good story. And one of the things that I've come to realize about stories is that you only really understand the story when you get to the end. In fact, if you somehow were to stop a story part of the way through, oftentimes you would miss the story completely. If you stop the story too early, the three pigs have lost and the wolf is the massive victor. If you stop the story too early, Elizabeth Bennett and Mr. Darcy are nothing more than people who hate each other. If you stop the story too early, then the Death Star is fully operational and Luke and his friends will die. But that's not where the story ends. If you stop too early, you don't understand what the story actually is about. And what we are being shown here is that 
that if we only stay within human history, we will not understand the story. That if we only stay within human history, we're not recognizing there's something that happens beyond. That there is a resurrection that all who have slept in the dust, that is all who have died, will live. Some, we are told, who rise will rise to shame and everlasting contempt, which are horrible words. Justice will be done, and those who have turned away from God will see the error of their ways and will be horrified. But others, for those who even in the midst of this ongoing fight of the long defeat have remained faithful, it says they will rise to eternal life. And life here means more than just a heart beating. Life here means the fullness of beauty, the fullness of love, the fullness of knowing God, the fullness of life forever. Which means for us to really understand our story, we need to recognize that our story is not just one that is fighting the long defeat, but that the long defeat itself, when viewed rightly, is swallowed by the even longer joy. And that, that is the full story, that the long defeat is swallowed by the longer joy. So, Quoting Tolkien again, the full quote that I alluded to before is, he says, I am a Christian, so I do not expect history to be anything but a long defeat, though it contains some samples of, or glimpses of final victory. He's saying, in this world, if we only look by our eyes at what we can see, all we will see is final defeat. Although there are these little hints, these little cracks, if we're just looking for them that show that there is something more, that beyond this long defeat, there is a victory. And, and that, that shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us because isn't that the very heart of the story that defines who we are? That Jesus himself fought the long defeat. Every moment of his life in some ways looked like he was experiencing failure. He was rejected. He was mocked. And at the end, he was crucified. He breathed his final breath. He died this death where he fought the long defeat. And that was the end until it wasn't. Until there was life beyond that. Until there was resurrection. And when that happened, that changes everything. So even in this life, though it is in one hand seen as the long defeat, there is another way of telling the story. Yes, the wise are persecuted, but do you notice a couple times it says the wise shall cause many to understand. The wise shall cause many to turn to righteousness. Something else is going on. Or we, we read about how the wise will stumble by sword and flame, but Two verses later, it says, the wise who will stumble so that they may be refined and purified and made white. There is a divine alchemy at work so that even what appears to be defeat is actually God's victory making us beautiful even through our suffering. And that is indeed what Paul's testimony is to the Corinthians. I only gave part of the quote before. Here is the full quote that Paul says. He says, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. 
We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And Paul says the key is we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul is telling us there is a better way of telling the story. Yes, if we're looking from just human history's perspective, we should recognize that in this life, in this life where Paul himself says is under this present darkness, under the rulers of evil, we should expect to face what looks like defeat, and yet we can know that what we cannot see is even more significant. It is eternal that this long defeat is swallowed up by an even longer joy. That is the only way that we can tell the story rightly. And this is what gets us to the very heart of what the entire book of Daniel has been seeking to do for us, what God is seeking to do in us as we contemplate this book. This book is written to help us to tell our story rightly. This book is written to give us insight. Perhaps you noticed in the reading earlier on that there is this consistent dividing between two different groups. It happens on repeated occasion in our passage. So the first time it happens is 11 verse 32. It speaks of how he that is Antiochus, that is the evil one, shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but... The people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Do you see there are two different groups here? And how is the second group, the people who know their God, described? The next verse, the wise among the people shall make many understand. That word wise, it's not the same word as in Proverbs that's just talking about skillful living. It has more of the idea of insight. That word wise here is the idea of being able to see our stories rightly from the perspective of heaven. We see the same division in 12, verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. We've seen this before. Two different groups. How is that first group described? And those who are wise, that is, those who have insight, shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. One more time in 12, verse 10. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. Again, two groups. How is that first group described? It says, none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise, that is, those who have insight, shall understand. How are we to be a people who remain faithful to God even as we experience pressure and temptation? How are we a people who even as we endure suffering grow? How do we become the people that we're made to be? Daniel says it's through insight. It's as we come to see the world, not just in terms of human history, seeing the long defeat, but we see the even longer joy that surrounds it, and we see things from the perspective of heaven. That is how we continue to grow and thrive. And that means, Daniel is saying, we need to fight. 
We spoke last week about how there is this larger battle that is at work in the world, a battle that we cannot see, and the key battleground has to do with understanding. There is constant pressure upon you and me that we experience daily to forget that there is anything other than what we see right now in this moment. And we need to fight for the insight that Daniel is giving us, that God's Word is giving us. It's worth asking ourselves, how, how do we do this? Let me ask you, think about all of the things, all of the noise that you are immersed in, that I am immersed in. How many things affect our attitude, our mood, the way that we have of seeing things? And what would it look like for us to curtail some of that so it has less power over us? Meanwhile, what can we do to keep this truth shaping us and renewing us? How can we hold on to this larger story that we're so prone to forget? I was reading one person who said, you know, there's something simple. When, when God talks about meditating on his word, he's not always talking about something that's really profound or big. Sometimes it's just taking a phrase and just mulling it over like the Lord is near. What would it look like to just hold on to that and think about it? The Lord is near. Or, or just even the act of praying. Every time you and I pray, we are telling ourselves that there is a reality that is bigger that we don't see as we come to God and look to Him for help. Importantly also, we fight by being together. Every time we gather together, every time we gather with each other, even for a meal, is an act of defiance where we are declaring that our identity is in something bigger than what this world says it is. We, we, we must fight to let that insight shape us because that is central. But it's not just about holding on to the insight. It's also about living, walking with that insight. So the very end um, of, of the book of Daniel, you have Daniel trying to understand kind of what to do with all of this information. And there's a couple of different moments so in 12 verse 9, he is told by an angel, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. That last part, shut up and sealed. In other words, they're untouchable. This is not going to change. This future that we are promising where it looks like defeat, but there will be victory beyond, nothing's going to touch that. It will happen. So therefore, Daniel, go your way. Or actually, literally, it's just simply go, walk. 12 verse 13, something very similar. But go. To the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. You have a certain future, therefore, Daniel, go. We are being told that we have something that cannot be touched, cannot be changed. We have an inheritance that will not spoil or fade. So, what does that call of us right now? Does that mean that right now we sit back and we just wait for it to happen? That is not what Daniel is calling us to. Daniel is calling us to go, to act. We actually can now move forward with courage as God's faithful people. You and I, as we seek to follow Christ faithfully, we don't need to be afraid of failure because we know we're going to fail. I mean, we're, we're facing the long defeat. We know that our efforts will be insufficient. We don't need to worry about it. It's going to happen. You and I don't need to worry about looking foolish. It's going to happen. You and I are going to look foolish. That is the way that it works in this world if we are being faithful. We will look like failures. And yet, 
we can go not worrying about the outcome because it's not in our hands, and yet knowing that somehow in a way that we will never understand, God can take our inadequate, failure-looking service and do something extraordinary. Our calling is not to figure it out. It is just to go. One more quote from the Lord of the Rings that I think is fitting here. So, there is this moment where Gandalf is talking with the leaders of the army and they're facing an army that is impossible for them to defeat. There is no way that their army is going to be able to overcome the enemy and yet they keep fighting. And, and what Gandalf says in that moment, he says, it is not our part to master all the tides of the world, but what is in us for the sucker of those years wherein we are set. It is our part to uproot the evil in the fields that we know, so that those who live after may have clean earth to till. What weather they, they shall have is not ours to rule. He's saying it's not our part to figure this all out. All our part is is to seek to help in the moment to the degree that we have, is to seek to uproot evil in the fields that are ours, and to leave it to others to figure out how it's all going to fit together. And I would suggest to you that is our calling as well. Our, our, our calling, knowing that by human standards we will fail, is to still go. You and I can speak about Jesus knowing that we are not going to change the world and convince the world that he is real, but we might convince our friend because the wise will bring understanding to many. You and I can look at our work. You and I can look at our communities and see what is problematic, and we can seek to do what we can using the tools that people say won't work, tools like honesty, generosity, forgiveness, kindness, mercy, seeking to do what we can, knowing you and I will never change the world, but we don't know what God will do through that. What we do know is the story that we are a part of, and that story is a story with a happy ending where joy swallows up defeat. What I'd like to encourage us now to do as we've been doing throughout this season of Lent is as we think through what it looks like to go, knowing this story, to turn to God in prayer. There might be an appropriateness of us confessing our sins as we realize where we have held back, but also there's an appropriateness of clinging to God and turning to Him. We will, in some ways, first prayer and song, and then there will be a time of music in the background where we can kind of pray silently in our hearts. So let's turn to God now in song and prayer.